0: Well, good morning. I know it's a holiday weekend, probably still thinking about sleeping in late tomorrow. But uh, I am truly honored and grateful to be here before you. A couple of weeks I was out because I was sick. I'm grateful for the prayers that many of you prayed for me. God heard and answered. And so I'm better and uh, I'm so grateful that I get to come and preach God's word this morning uh, for you and for my own heart. So as we get started, uh, we're continuing in our uh, series in the Gospel of John. We've made it to chapter four this morning. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you realize that what was happening around you, what was taking place, was far more profound than you could have ever imagined? You're sitting there. And it suddenly hits you that the circumstances, the actions, the words that are being spoken and the moment in time in which you're going through is going to have effects that are immeasurable and will only be realized into the future. Maybe that's for those of you who are married, maybe that was your wedding day when yes, saying yes was for the rest of your life. Something was going to change or maybe for some of you. It's right now you're realizing that we are in a strange time with a global pandemic or even the current situation of and the climate of social and political change. Or maybe some, for some of you, that moment in time was in the past, but it still has impacts on your life daily or regularly. Dates like 9-11. Or days of past personal trauma, or maybe even the loss of a loved one. Each of these things and countless others have life altering long term impacts that we're still learning about as we grow and mature as humans. And in a very similar way, what I'm asking and aiming of you is to see this morning in the text of John chapter four. is something profound is taking place in the story of the Samaritan woman. And if we believe what we read here, which many of you in this room do, then your life has been transformed because of what Jesus is doing in and through you. However, you may be sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You've not trusted in Him. You've not turned from your own path and your own ways and your idols to Christ as your only treasure. Well, friend, today Jesus' words are for you. What John writes here in chapter 4 of his Gospel is stunningly profound and impacts your life no matter if you're a Christian or not. And the reason I believe this about the text is because we're all like the woman at the well and we are all like the disciples of Jesus. It would be so easy to preach this sermon about the woman at the well and simply tell you to go out and be like Jesus, evangelize, have conversations like Jesus, Take the paths and the turns and the crazy questions that you get wherever they might lead in order that you might be able to present Jesus as the only Savior. And that's a good and worthy thing. But I want to set you free from the fact that you are not the hero of the story. You're not Jesus. And there are ways, yes, indeed, that we are to be like Him, but there are some things we just can't do. We can't save people. And we need to see that we're actually the woman at the well. We're the disciples. You love the darkness. We are blind to the things that Jesus is doing. Millions of things that Jesus is actively doing right now, even in your own hearts as you sit here this morning. But we're blind to those things. So let us. Look to Jesus and look to the text this morning to see just how profound John chapter four really is. And I'm going to read all of the text this morning because I think it helps us have a context of what's going on. So I'm going to read from verses one to forty two for us this morning. So if you have a copy of God's word, I ask that you go ahead and turn to chapter four. or Turn on your electronic device and scroll to chapter four. I read the words of John. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. For those of you who are not familiar with Jewish time, it's about noon. The woman from Samaria came to draw water. and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink or a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samarians. And Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. The woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it Himself as did His sons and His livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come here here. The woman answered. I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying that you have no husband or I have no husband for you have five. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, on this mountain. But you say it is Jerusalem in the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in the Father um, in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When He comes, He'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who Speak to you, am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, and but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So when the woman left her, so the, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to say, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he told me all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed for there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Let us pray. Father God. We sang a profound song this morning and we have looked into a profound text to say that it is only Jesus who is the Savior, the worthy King whom we, like angels, should bow before. And we should do this because He is standing at the well offering us water, living water. Oh God, may our eyes see Christ this morning. May we drink deeply of this well that is Jesus. God, help us. Help us see that we so often drink from wells that do not satisfy. And we need, we desperately need Jesus. Help us see, Father help us understand that our Savior is a Savior who gives eternal life, who has pursued us and is pursuing many more. Be with us in this time. Change lives. Change hearts. Satisfy souls today, God. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The main point that I want you to see this morning, if you walk away from this text and this time with anything else, I pray that you see this, that Jesus comes to give eternal life by pursuing individuals and by pursuing nations. Jesus comes to give eternal life by pursuing individuals and pursuing nations. Before we get into the to those two points of Jesus pursuing individuals and pursuing nations, we need a brief history lesson about what's going on in this text and why I'm saying and why I believe it's so profound. So the history here is that during the reign of King Solomon, some nearly 800 years before Jesus' birth, or probably around 900 years. King Solomon didn't reign well, and his kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a southern and a northern kingdom. The southern kingdom built their capital of Judah, and they built that in Jerusalem. And then the northern kingdom of Israel set up their capital in Samaria. Then after Hundreds of years of warning to the Israelites of God to repent from idolatry and turn to God. God sends the Assyrians to capture the uh, northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And many of the Israelites were deported from the land and pagan Assyrians or Gentiles began to flood into the region. This mixture of Jew or Israelite and Gentile eventually become the people of Samaria that Jesus is purposefully going to visit. The mixing of these two groups of people led to many syncretistic religious practices. Pluralism was abounding. Samaritan Samaria. And the Sumerians only had accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Torah. They also had rejected the writings that directly spoke about Jerusalem. So if there was any reference to Jerusalem or Judea in any writing, any religious writing, the Samaritan just said, that's not us. We don't want anything to do with that. Their central place of worship was Mount Gerizim, not the temple in Jerusalem that Jesus had just left a few days before. And since the Samaritans had rejected much of the word of God and had become religiously relativistic, the Jews were very hostile towards the Samaritans. And the hostility was so deep The hatred ran so deep that if there was a Jew leaving Jerusalem, traveling north to Galilee, or there was a Jew or an Israelite traveling from Galilee south to Jerusalem, they would go around well out of their way, the region of Samaria to avoid this deplorable land with its deplorable people. But Jesus is going to Samaria. This would have been quite questionable behavior. He would have probably said to his disciples, hey, we're packing up things. We're going over to Samaria, guys, let's go. And they'd have been like, Jesus, you're just kidding, right? No, he's not kidding. Because in verse four, there's a little verb there. Look at me with verse four. What does he say? And he had to pass through Samaria. No, no, Jews don't have to pass through Samaria. There's like a couple of roads around that place. We'll just take those. Like We don't have to go there. Verse 4 tells us this is likely Jesus having to go because he is following the will of his father. He's not worried about pleasing man. But his aim is to submit to the divine prerogative of the father, which gives him pleasure and sustenance far greater than any food was able to give. As we see later in the disciples with the story with the disciples. So Jesus has to go to Samaria. Jesus has to offer eternal life, living water. He comes. That's why he's here. And so he goes there because he has to provide living water as he pursues this woman at the well. So Jesus pursues individuals, specifically the woman at the well. How does he pursue her? Well, first of all, he does it with living water. Look down in verse 10. What does he say? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who is standing before you, like if you knew... What was going on and who was talking to you? You would say, give me water. Jesus wants to give this woman living water. She's so blind and she's so hard hearted. She doesn't understand. And even if she gets it, even if she gets the water, she wants to use it for her own benefit. Oh, how many of us want the benefits of Jesus without the relationship of to our God and Savior? How many of us want blessings without the Blesser? We're like the woman, friends. And this is the third time in the Gospel of John where Jesus uses a physical object to convey a spiritual reality. Remember back in chapter two where he did it with the temple? He said, you tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he's right outside the temple and the Jews are like, it took us 40 something years to build this thing. Jesus, you build it in three days? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, Jesus, like this temple, this temple, not that temple. Then in chapter three, he talks about the new birth and Nicodemus is like super confused. He's like, I'm a grown man. I can't get back into my mother's womb like new birth. Like, how does that happen? And now with the woman from Sychar, the Samaritan, he says, I have water that can transform your life. And she goes. You don't have a bucket. And the well is really deep. Like, I mean, Jesus could probably tell her how exactly deep the well was. Like, and then she asks. Not only does she point out the obvious that Jesus is lacking a bucket, she goes, are you greater than Jacob? Like, he gave us this well and it's been like watering and giving water for years. Jesus reveals something to us about his water. He actually tells us four things about the water he's offering to her her in verses 10, 11, and 14. Look in verse 10. He says that this water is a gift of God. You don't have it. You hear me? The woman doesn't have it. She needs it. You don't have it. No matter how hard or long of a look you look into yourself, you will not find living water. It's not there. Her heart is rock solid hard. There's no life to be found. No water to be found. It's a gift of God. The second thing, it's living water. It's active water. It doesn't just stay at a certain level in the ground so you can drop your bucket down to it. This water comes shooting up out of the ground. Active, living, satisfying water. And the next thing he shows us in verse verse 14 about the water is that it's never thirst again water. Now give me a case of that. I want that kind of water. Now, what this doesn't mean, friends, is this doesn't mean that you're not going to wake up with soul longings every morning. Okay? Jesus knows you're going to wake up with different longings today, tomorrow, and the next day. But this water is water where if you come to Jesus, He is all satisfying and always satisfying. If you drink from the well that Jesus is opening for you and pouring out into you, your soul will be always satisfied. And then the fourth thing he shows us about the water is it's water that leads or gives eternal life. Eternal life. Verse 14, look there. But, whenever, but whoever drinks of this water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is essentially telling this woman, why, yes, ma'am, I am greater than Jacob. The water that I offer is greater than Jacob's water. The well where my water is found is better than Jacob's well. The, those who drink of my water are greater than Jacob's sons and daughters. Guess what? They never die because they receive eternal life. Yeah, I'm better than Jacob. But as much water as Jesus is pouring out into this woman, it just bounces right off. She completely misunderstands what Jesus is offering her because she is so hard hearted by her relentless, countless attempts to satisfy her own soul. Because what does she say in verse 15? Well, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty like. I drink, I know I get thirsty again. Like, if you got some kind of way to get this water to my house so I don't have to come here and like keep getting water to drink, like, I'll take that kind of water. And not only that, or have to come here to draw water. She didn't want to work for it. You get some plumbing down to my house with some fresh water, like, I'll take that kind of water, Jesus. She wants the blessing of Jesus' water without fully comprehending why she needs it. How many of us, brothers and sisters and friends, struggle with this? Yeah, I don't want to keep being thirsty. And I definitely don't want to come here when I need water. So if you're offering me something Jesus. That keeps me from working so hard. Or keeps my shame at bay. Then yeah I'll take that water. Give it, give, give, give me the water. She wants the blessing without the benefit. Or she wants the blessing and benefit. Of Jesus's water without addressing her real need. But this. Friends listen to me. This is not how Jesus offers living water He knows you get thirsty He knows you'll thirst again but he's not just there to quench your thirst he's there to quench your soul So he pursues her with living water and then he pursues her in her sin Like every one of us in this room. If Jesus has pursued you or he's pursuing you, he's pursued you in your sin. And so in verse 16, Jesus does something that to our ears, our sensibility or sensitivity, the aversion that we have to truth and light that's downright scandalous. She doesn't get it, but Jesus clearly reveals to her her desperate need so that she's awakened to to the soul-satisfying water that Jesus is offering. All of us are like this woman. We're all like a dead, flat-lined ER patient on the gurney in the ER and they have to rub the paddles together and shock us, awaken us to new life. Verse 16, go call your husband. And come here. Ouch, Jesus. Why? Why does Jesus bring up her sin? Because Jesus can be her contentment instead of her seeking significance and sexual pleasure in marriages that fail her every time. Married five times. Sleeping with a man that she's not even married to now. She can't call him her husband. Because Jesus is the light who shines in the darkness. You don't, don't forget what we've already learned about or what John's already written to us about who this Jesus is. He's light. Now he's living water. Either you're going to hate the light and you're going to perish or you're going to love the light and live. And so I ask you, where is Jesus shining light and pouring water in you today? Because you may be going through life trying to find all kinds of purposes. You may be changing jobs or switching sexual partners, changing hobbies, changing churches, wardrobes, diets maybe even up and moving from place to place because there is no deep satisfaction in you because of Jesus where are you this morning this is what living the living water of Jesus is friends there are thirst in your life but it is only Christ that can return that you can return to over and over and over and over again. And your soul will always be satisfied. He's your treasure, he is your life giving water, you don't have to run to idols anymore. All of them will leave you empty. Just like the woman at the well. And all of them do leave you empty. That's why you have relentless change or you think you need to move from one thing to the other because you realize it won't do. It's not working. Christ is giving Himself as the living water that you might be eternally satisfied. Friends. And this can happen whether you are a Christian or not. Followers of Jesus can forget their first love. We as believers, we can run to our spouses. We can run to our children, our friends we can run to sex, hobbies, jobs, jobs. A thousand other things trying to please ourselves and our souls. Jesus hasn't saved you and given you eternal life that you might be satisfied with idols, friend. That's not why he saves you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you don't believe, if you're not placed your full trust in him, I'm willing to bet that you're already doing this. You're wrapped up in Something. I don't know what it is. Only Jesus does. Going back to it again and again and again to get a fix. One more little satisfying moment. And then you realize when you're lying awake in bed, you can't fall asleep. You have longings that have not yet been quenched. Jesus is pursuing you even when He knows everything about you. He's saying, come and drink deeply of Me. And although the words of verse 16 may not sound like the lovey-dovey homeboy Jesus that some of us hope to meet one day, they're the words that we need to hear. We need to recognize the hardness, the brokenness, the emptiness within us, because that's where hope begins, even though it might be dreadfully painful. So stop running to these things and ask Jesus for a deep, soul satisfying drink from the living water that he's offering to you today. Today can be the day that you stop drinking from the wells that only leave you thirsty, empty, broken, shameful. Come to Christ, the only well that has water that leads to eternal life. The all satisfying well, the all satisfying water. Here he is. Drink deeply from him. Today can be the day that you stop running to those wells, friends. Come, please talk to me. Come talk to one of the uh, people, one of the members of our church who are going to be out in the hall after the service. If you're tired of running, you know you need to drink deeply of Jesus. We're here for you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you drink deeply of Jesus. Leave and forsake your idols and turn to Jesus today. Go get your husband or whatever You're trying to keep in the dark and come to Jesus now, friend. So Jesus pursues this woman, knowing everything about her. To give her eternal life. And now Jesus does something amazing. The story transitions and he pursues, he moves from pursuing an individual to pursuing a people group. A nation, a tribe, a tongue. Starting with the Samaritans. How does he do this? Look at me at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar. What? And she's there to get water. Like, it's the whole reason she went to the well to get water, take back home, drink, wash her clothes. Do daily chores. She leaves her water jar. She goes to testify the transformation of her life. The living water has penetrated. The hard rock of her soul. There was a time when she had lived in shame, even to the point of avoiding going to the well, like like she didn't go to the well with other women. Like you don't go to the well at high noon. Okay, like that's not when you go. You don't go to work at the hottest part of the day. It doesn't sound very smart. It also sounds like you might be avoiding something. She avoided time with other women. They knew her. They knew what she had done. And likely they treated her very poorly and shamed her because of her, her serial divorce and remarriage. And now something has changed. Verse 29 Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She had kept everything. She she tried to keep everything she had ever done hidden out of the light. And now she's saying, come see the man who's told thee all about me. Could this be the one we're waiting for? And then what do they do? They're not like, who's what's she doing here? Like she... They leave everything and they go to see him. A man who's transformed the one of their most shameful and undeserving people among them. One who had avoided people, one who had avoided public places, and especially everyone's eye being upon her. Now she's in the town square crying out. There's someone who may be the Christ who told me every shameful thing I've ever done. Despite the fear of total rejection, the childlike faith and boldness of this woman leads her to her fellow Samaritans to consider Jesus. Come to the same well that I'm drinking from. Has Jesus changed your life? Are you a follower? If He's pursued you and changed you, then you too have faith and a testimony that can lead to bold evangelism just like this woman. And bold evangelism, by the way, is one of the things that we, uh, we cherish and value here at Pillar Church. And we want to encourage you and equip you and provide opportunities for you to go and share Jesus and talk about how he's changed your life. We also want you to make known the good news of Christ living and dying, being resurrected for eternal hope. One thing we do on the first and third Fridays of the month is gospel and grub. I pray that you would you would join that event to go out and share Jesus, share your testimony. Or maybe you simply need to take a bold step with a coworker or a neighbor. That, you know, who does not believe in Jesus, who is not drinking from this well. and Needs living water that springs up to eternal life. So she goes and shares her testimony with her townfolk, and her townfolk drop what they're doing and run out to the well to see Jesus. Then the disciples show up, and Jesus starts to talk to them again, using another physical reality to talk about a spiritual reality. He's talking about sowing and reaping and then salvation. Now, we need to remember here, don't forget our history lesson. These are Samaritans. These are half Jew, half Assyrian. Israel nationals that don't belong in the country. So the nations had come to Israel, intermarried with them. And now Jesus begins to intentionally fulfill what God had promised so long ago in Genesis chapter 12, that he will be a blessing to the nations, even the nations that have come to his own back doorstep and intermarried with his own people. People who every other Israelite and every other Jew had written off and said they're not worthy of anything we have to offer. Jesus is going to them to give them living water. So Jesus says these words, he says that to the disciples, he's talking with them about sowing and reaping this, this perception that the thought is, is that, well, if you sow seed, you have to wait some time and then you get the harvest like four months, typically. Jesus is like, but that's not what's going on here. I've sent you to reap. Or or he says in 37, for here is the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I've sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You see, the, the Samaritans had been listening to the prophet Moses for quite some time. They only read and used his books for worship and their practices. These books gave them a glimmer of hope in the last book, Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And I want you to read, I want you to listen to these words from Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18. So this is Moses writing to the Israelites, going into the promised land. Same book that the Samaritans would have been longing to see fulfilled the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers it is to him you shall listen just as you desired for the lord, of the lord your god at Hareb on the day of the assembly when you said let me not hear again the voice of my god or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to them. They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them. All that I command him. Jesus. Is the anointed one. The prophet like Moses or for those of you who like learning foreign languages, here's a little word for you. The Tahib. Jesus is the Tahib. There could have been countless other ways that God had worked to prepare this people. But clearly, Jesus is telling the disciples work has been done and the harvest of his people is beginning. Jesus is drawing the nations to himself, starting with Samaria. It's very likely in verse 35. That Jesus is saying that some may think that there is a determined time between reaping and sowing, but it's not so when it comes to the spiritual reality of proclaiming Jesus as Messiah and the transformation of those who believe in him. There's not a predetermined time. It can happen immediately. It can happen over years. Don't give up hope on people. like the Jews had given up hope on the Samaritans ever knowing anything about the Messiah. Don't give up hope on those hard-hearted people, those co-workers who you think don't know anything, those family members who simply won't have a conversation with you about Jesus. Hold out hope for them. There is no determined amount of time between sowing and reaping. Make Jesus known that he might reap from them. In his determined time Jesus is likely referring to the symbols that demonstrate the institution of his kingdom that are found all the way back in Amos chapter 9 verse 13 where Amos writes this The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one who's treading grapes. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is at hand in his ministry and where sowing and reaping are now coming together and the harvest of his crop is coming to him. His church, his called out ones, his people are coming to him. He is pursuing individuals and he is pursuing nations, even scandalous nations. God is indeed calling people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And here it starts with one Samaritan woman, as scandalous as it might be, a Samaritan, a woman, Rock hard in her heart, sick with shame and guilt, drinking from a well of sexual sin and serial remarriage. He pursues her and then extends his giving of the water to her people. God is making disciples and transforming lives. We can join with the Samaritan woman and God and what he is doing both in our neighborhood and in the nation's. Are we going to? We're going to obey. If We have living water welling up to eternal life. Why would we not just give it away? It's a spring that replenishes over and over and over again. You can't give away too much of it. Part of our mission as the church is right here. We glorify God by helping people know Jesus. We want to do that. And make him known in D.C. and around the world. We want to make Jesus known. Just like the woman did. Even if we have to leave our water bucket. Because that no longer is the bucket that can satisfy. It's only Jesus. We want to join Him in making disciples as we go to the ends of the earth. Places where He's not known like Iceland like we prayed for earlier. And potentially many other tongues and tribes and nations. God could very well be calling any one of you to be a church planter. To be on a church planting team. Or maybe, even maybe, He's calling you To be a missionary to a people who have never heard his name, who need to even know that there's a well that they can drink from that has eternal life. And that well is Jesus. He can call you. To any of these things so that the nations might experience the blessing of knowing Jesus and drink deeply from the well of living water that he extends. Will we join him in this mission? Will we be a part of what he is doing? I believe, I believe we are doing those things. Maybe he's doing something more specific in your life. We'd love to hear about that. Talk to you about that. And then Jesus does something that not only is profound, but astounding. He doesn't just pass through Samaria. Like, I mean, if a Jew had to go through Samaria, they'd have been like, we're getting through there. Like we're no stop, no passing go, no talking to anybody. Like, let's go. Like you don't no bathroom breaks. We're going where we need to go. But Jesus Stays two days and teaches them. And many Samaritans believe. He had to go. He had to go. So Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah. The one true and living hope the well, the living water and the harvester who gives eternal life. He pursues individuals even when he knows everything there is to know about those individuals. You heard me right, friend. He is pursuing you even though there is so much that you don't want him to know about you. He knows it all and he is after you. You're not here by accident. You didn't stumble into this room by accident. The lover and purifier and satisfier of your soul is pursuing you. And then when his people drink of his living water, they want others to know about it. And here in this chapter, in these verses of John chapter four, Jesus begins to draw the nations, even starting with half-breed Jewish Assyrians or half-breed Assyrian Jews. Flip a coin. He is establishing his kingdom with all of its rich forgiveness and grace And transformation, eternal life can be yours today as Jesus pursues you and pursues the nations. Come and drink at the well of living water that is Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth. Let us pray. Oh God, you are so kind and gracious and merciful to us. You have given us your son who knows so much about us, yet comes after us and transforms us and makes us. His children who do not perish, who have eternal life. Oh, God, give eternal life now. Transformed hearts and minds. Convert people. Penetrate stony hearts. Kill idolatry, God. That everyone in here might be satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. We love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you need to pray with anyone during this time, I encourage you to go out into the hall, talk to one of our members out there. Thank you.